Tonight we are going to be listening to the voice of Christ as he hung on that cross. Every time I read through the crucifixion, I, I am in awe that Christ would do that for me and that God's love would be that strong and that passionate for someone like me. When I think of dragging, Christ dragging that cross after being whipped, beaten, his beard ripped out, spat upon, blasphemed. And yet very willingly laying down to be nailed to that cross and allowing that cross to be placed in the ground with a big thud and all of his weight bearing upon those nails for me. Listening to the voice of God. Just how good or well are we at that? Do we make it a priority in our life? We hear the chaos around us day in and day out because of where the world sits and its situations and the issues of life and if ever there should be generations that sit back and say, God, I need to hear your son's voice clearly in my heart, clearly in my life so that I can stand strong in the midst of the winds that blow within our culture and within our society and within our world. It ought to be the generations of today and say we are going to stand firm on the words of our Savior and heed them and follow them. Listening. Listening and responding. Let's stand and open our neck in prayer. Our Father and our God, We stand before you tonight earnestly wanting to hear your voice. Earnestly wanting it to flood over our souls in such a way that it makes a dramatic difference in who we are as your children. To where your voice would become a greater priority of our lives 
amidst the busyness and the chaos and the distresses and the turbulence and the hurt and the pain. So Father, I pray that as we look into your word tonight, Father, that your word indeed would be that two-edged sword for each and every one of us, myself. And Lord, that I would not leave the stage the same person that walked on because I met with you. And I pray that your spirit would do the same in each of the hearts and lives of all who are here tonight and all who are listening, wherever they might be. Father, might this be a grand and glorious night because your children sought your face. Lord, how I pray that you would minister and meet every need in our hearts and lives for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask your hand of blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Listening to the voice of God, um, we know that three of the different sayings that Christ shared from the cross would be found in Luke's gospel, three would be found in John's gospel, and, and others in Mark and Matthew, one each. And, and so tonight, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 23, and that's where we will see the first couple of thoughts as our Lord and Savior was nailed to the tree. And I'd like to remind you in John's gospel, John chapter 19, we would read these words. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto him, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place, the place called the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the center. And it is there where we would pick up the story in Luke chapter 23 and we would start listening to the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the cross. And where we would see, starting in verse 33, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneering, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. I look at this particular passage, and I look at this, and I see a heart of love. You know, imagine that, beaten, his, his skin on his back just ripped to shreds and his face bleeding and everything else. And he, he started bleeding at, uh, out in Gethsemane for you and I. And yet we see him here after being nailed to that, that crossbar and his feet and 
plopped into that hole and all of his weight coming down on it, he does not have one single word of retaliation. But earnestly wanting them to see and to understand that the reason why he came was to bring forgiveness for sin. The reason why he came was to be the Christ, the Messiah, to be the Savior. And he wanted them to see that clearly, no animosity. You know, but just simply words of love. And I wonder about us today, how, how do we respond to a lost and dying world when they are cruel and indifferent and mocking? Do we become judgmental because of their sin? Do we become bitter and vengeful rather than a people that would earnestly desire to see the love of Christ exude literally out of our pores, out of the very soul of our lives so that they could see that all that Jesus Christ came and to die for. Just think about it. For joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You heard that just this past week. An amazing thought, the joy of of pleasing and doing the will of the Father, but a joy of seeing sinners come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so the very first thing I'm going to ask you is, where is your burden for the lost? Where's mine? Do we have a passion to see the lost come to Christ? Is there a design in your daily life or my daily life to reveal the Christ of the cross and that kind of love, that unconditional love that is filled with grace and mercy, loving kindness in a tremendous way? We all love John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have what? Ah, oh, you can do better than that. Have what? Everlasting life. I was an adult when I came to Christ. And to my shame, because of uh, how uh, life was uh, before that time, there were people in my life that had uh, been cruel. And they literally became my Nineveh, to my shame. I thought that there had to be people, and I don't know how I justified that because I was a wicked sinner, and yet Christ graciously received me when I trusted him as Savior. And yet, somehow there were others that I wanted to have a root of bitterness against rather than conveying the love of Christ. And so that's the first decision that you and I have to make. Are we going to reveal the love, the unconditional love, to a lost and dying world? Will there be a passion in our hearts to see 
them no matter where they find themselves in the lostness will we pour our hearts out before them pray for them plead with them wanting them to come to a saving knowledge of Christ I think of how Spurgeon said he goes every single sinner that he came in contact with he wanted them to literally drag him to the edge of hell when they died before they jumped in knowing that he was pleading with them to trust Christ alone so where are we Is there that passion? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing because they're apart from him, God. The second saying is also found in in Luke's gospel. Look at verse 39. And then one of the criminals who was hanged on the tree, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for we receive a due, uh, the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What wonderful words of salvation. Now, you and I have to remember, if we looked at a different gospel, this very same thief on the cross was blaspheming him and bad-mouthing him and mocking him just hour, an hour earlier. And yet as he he himself was nailed to that cross and watched Christ and listened to him and listened to what was being said about him, he, he himself said, ah, he is the Messiah. He is the one. So I guess we have to ask that question, have we trusted Christ as our Savior? Are you here today and are you in Christ? Is there any doubt about that? I want you to know the very last person that I talked to about salvation, the words that came out of their mouth were this. Oh, I've always been a Christian. I was born in a Christian family. Now, my heart, it it faded and it leapt at the same time. It faded because I knew they did not know what salvation was. They thought it was a heritage and a right rather than an exercise of faith in Christ. This thief came to know that it was an exercise of faith. Romans chapter 10 says this, if you and I confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so that's the second question we have to ask ourselves as we listen to the voice of Christ. Are we truly his child? Have we trusted Christ alone? 
Oh, folks, as, as chances are, he prayed. Now, how sad it would be if, if any of us departed here without knowing Christ tonight. By faith, believe it. Understand that the standard was always God's. If it was heritage or if it was something that I could do, then the standard would become mine rather than God's and Christ did not need to go to the cross. He would have gone to the cross in vain if there was any possibility of any other way. The only possibility is Christ alone. I'll never forget that day. For me, I was down in Chattanooga, Tennessee when somebody shared a little message on all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and I realized I was a wretched sinner separated from a holy God and I needed a savior. Up to that point, I was a prideful, arrogant man who believed I was okay if there was a God. And God broke my heart that day. And I'm so thankful he did. And I remember in tears crying out to God, asking him to forgive me. Now, in my uh, naive way, in my unchurched way, in my lack of any biblical knowledge, I began to try to think of every single possible sin that might be a sin in God's eyes from the youngest age, and I began repenting of every single one. Do you know how many lies I had lied by that time? And I'm trying, yeah, now that, that sounds silly, but my prayer lasted for a long time. My tears lasted for a long time because I wanted to make sure that God forgave me of everything. Little did I know that he was willing with a broken heart to forgive me everything immediately. That's God's grace and love. Amen. That's what he did to this thief on the cross. As soon as he expressed his faith in, in Christ, this man has done nothing wrong. Lord, please remember me. He forgave him everything. That's our God. Don't leave here today without knowing Christ as Savior. Trust him alone. And if you're here today and you're in Christ, rejoice in that. Never forget that moment that you trusted Christ as Savior. Relish it. Because that will be your stay and your hope in the midst of despair. The third saying that he would share from the cross is found in John chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19, starting with verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and, his, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her to be to his own home. John cared for the Lord's birth mother. When I look at this, I, I see the importance of relationship. I see the importance of family. I see the reality that, that we are the body of Christ and that those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we are to live in that unity and harmony and with humility with one another in fear of God in a wonderful way. His passion for his mom and for John and John to care is the same kind of passion that you and I ought to have within the body of Christ. Earnestly wanting to see that Christ would be magnified in it. Earnestly revealing the love of Christ. And the reality of of being the bride of Christ. When I began to learn about the body of Christ, I began to wonder if I was a hangnail. (laughs) This past week, we visited uh, children and grandchildren in New Hampshire, and our kids from New York came up and visited as well, and uh, we we just had a joy with them, but we had the the trauma of, of of a... a sliver and a hangnail and, you know, radical surgery had to be performed on a three-year-old, you know, and, and the pain that was there. And sometimes, you know, I just thought, will I ever, ever be a positive part of the body of Christ? And the question is, is how we seek to be that. How do we commit ourselves to that? And how do we, who are part of the body of Christ, how do we receive others? Do we receive the weaker brethren? Do we earnestly want to not have a schism within the body, but to see that? Sometimes in our relationships, we can throw grenades over our shoulders and say things that are so crazy and, and things can end up in bitterness. And God wants us to be encouragers, honestly esteeming others better than ourselves. And when I look at this, I see his love for family. How about your love for the body of Christ? Is it seen? Do you live in unity and harmony with those who, who know Christ as Savior? Do, do you strive to make yourself a vital part of that relationship? Genuinely words of relationship. Mark chapter 15, we would see the fourth words from the cross. Mark 15, starting with verse 33. Now this gets really intense. And now when it was the sixth hour, Mark fifteen thirty three. now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and the ninth hour Christ cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Just imagine, it is that moment I truly believe that my sins were placed on Christ and he began to suffer the wrath of God that I justly deserved. And it's the same with you and I. And so how do we read those words and how do we hear that cry from from the, from the cross, do we understand that, that sin really breaks communion because the communion between the Father and the Son was truly broken at that very moment because of our sin? Do we see that, that there is this reality of, of I cannot walk with God and walk in sin at the same time? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I cannot imagine the agony and the tears in the father's heart and eyes as he turned from his son as his son, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. And I can't imagine the son feeling forsaken, let alone suffering the wrath of God. In a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. And it is a time where we establish our hearts that we're walking with you and we're, we're celebrating this relationship. And here we see the relationship fractured because of sin. Do we take our sin for granted? The fourth decision we have to take and make. Do we take God's grace for granted? Do we shovel our sins underneath the rug to clean the outside of the room rather than the heart? The voice of Christ. Are we listening? Do we strive to be holy for I am holy, the admonishment that we have given to us? And I want you to know, I know I'm not perfect and I keep striving to walk with my God in unity and harmony, having a short account in my sin life. Always wanting to be the vessel that can be used being in communion with God, being able to pray without ceasing in such a way that God hears my voice. As we hear these words, let us never take our sin for granted, never take the grace of God for granted or the mercy and the loving kindness. Understand it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. The fifth statement we would find back again in John chapter 19 John chapter 19. And these finals three happen in rapid succession. The first thing he says, and now after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And I look at that and I look at the fact that they run to a vessel full of sour vinegar and they put it on a hyssop and they touch his lips. You know, you and I are going to go through times of distress. And when I look at this, I look at 
wonderful provision by God. He's fulfilling scripture. It was declared and prophesied that this was going to happen, and we see this. And, and as we see this, I want us to understand that it is provision. You and I are going to go through trials and difficulties, and can we cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us? Can we really put our burdens you know, we go through difficult times, and you might be here tonight battling cancer, broken relationships, just horrible situations within family. And I just ask, is your God big enough to care for them? He is. He is wonderfully able. And he is wonderfully desirous, and he will. Real faith. Being anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and thanksgiving and supplication. Letting our needs be known unto God. Knowing he cares. And there again in John 19, we would, we would hear him finally say, it is finished. What a victory song. <laughs> it's finished. What he paid on the cross, suffering the wrath of God. And, I, and as I think of that, you know, I deserve God's wrath for an eternity. And my Savior suffered it all for me and for you. Think about that. It's finished. It is finished. And when I think of this, this victory and, and how victorious it is and how we ought to live victoriously for our Savior, being steadfast and movable in the things of God, no matter what, the world throws at us, wanting to truly live with that joy and that hope that we have, knowing that we've been born of God and that absolutely nothing can ever pluck us from his hands. Now, is that security or is that security? And the wonder of it, it's finished. It's complete. We do not have to live in bondage any longer or carried about in a thought of we have no worth. Because everything that we do, Christ does through us. He takes the broken vessel and he puts it back together. He uses it for his glory. He indwells it with his spirit in the wonders of salvation the joy that we have. And that victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the sixth question is, how well are you serving? How well are you walking in his provision? How well is that victory seen in our lives? And the last one is found back in Luke 23 where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. (laughs) 
I know he hasn't risen from the grave yet. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I understand that. But yet Paul told us a wonderful, profound truth. To be absent from the body is to be present. To be present with the Lord. Now, a dear, sweet friend of ours went home to be with the Lord with cancer. And she lived with this mantra, I live in a win-win situation. If God performs a miracle, it's a win. And he will get all the glory. And if I take my last breath, it's a win because I'll see my Savior face to face. It is that kind of hope and joy that that we ought to walk in consistently because of the reality that our, our Savior has paved the way. We have a hope. Paul prayed for the folks in Colossae this way, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the other saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, he began to pray for them, earnestly wanting them to walk with him. Paul, for the folks in Rome, he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I walk in victory and walk in this hope, it is the reality that we're not grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. He has control and he is revealing Christ the Savior. He is pointing us and others to, to Christ alone. What a joy. Hearing the voice of Christ He went to the cross. His blood ran down so that you and I could have salvation. I don't know about you, but I I yearn for people to ask me the reason of my hope. I want to be seen and have a countenance that reveals the reality of my Savior. So seven thoughts. Do you need to make any decision tonight? Do you need to pray for more fervency for the lost? Do you need Christ yourself? Do you have relationships that need mending and nurturing and encouraging? Do you need sin to be repented of so that you can have real communion with the Father? Do you need greater faith to trust Christ or God in the midst of the storms of life? Do you need to become a better overcomer, one that is more steadfast in your relationship with Christ? Do you yearn to have a life filled with hope and peace? The decisions that we need to make as we listen to the voice of Christ.
from the cross of Calvary as he gave it all for you and me. I'd invite you to write them on that little three by five card. Come up, put them in the basket when you come up to take communion. Let's stand and pray. Father God, tonight we've taken just a glimpse of what lasted over six hours. I am humbled. I am amazed that you would want me to be a part of your family. And Father, how I plead that there is not one here that would leave this place without trusting Christ as Savior. Father, how I pray that there would not be one here tonight that would not have a burden prayed for as we have our prayer teams on each side. Father, that people would come up and just share their hearts and we'd pray for them. And Father, as we gather around your table, Father, that we would listen to your voice of victory and the wonder of your love. And might we celebrate it, not just this weekend, but every day we have breath because you are the God of our salvation. Father, how I pray that you'd meet the needs of people here tonight for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.